الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على خاتم الأنبياء أشرف المرسلين وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد There's a lot of lessons for us to learn from the seerah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And here, we always want to learn something with practical implementation. Many people, they, they study the seerah, or they read a book, or they study the lives of the sahaba, or the qisas of the anbiya, and they just do it like as if it's entertainment. You know, like when you're reading Marvel or DC or something like this. But, but you have to realize, first and foremost, these are real people. The Prophet Muhammad والسلام, Abu Bakr and Umar and Rahman and Ali radiallahu anhum, the Anbiya before them, Nuh salam, and Lut salam, these were real human beings. Humans like me and you. As far as their humanity goes, they were like me and you. But Allah subhanahu wa raised them to a high rank because of the sacrifices that they went through. And what they sacrificed for the deen, is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose them for. Right? Meaning that if today we sacrifice, Allah will give us that nusra as well. Allah will give us that help. So when we study these books, we should study them in trying to improve ourselves and make our yani, methodology, our manhaj based upon them. So in the da'wah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi there was the three years we talked about the secret da'wah. And what was going on at this time, and this is important because today, many brothers, and may Allah reward all of us and accept it from us and give us the tawfiq, want to be involved in the da'wah. Like around the world, we get a lot of questions, what, how should we do da'wah and things, right? So we should always look at the blueprint from the Sahaba, how did they do it? So what did they do first and foremost was tazkiyah or tarbiyah? Tazkiyah to nafs. Today, when somebody wants to give da'wah, the first question they ask us like, how can I get Bible verses? Or how can I get uh, metaphysics and logics and this and that and you know, chemistry? I don't know what else, right? Well, first thing, cleanse yourself. Clean your heart. From hasad, shuh, shirk, akbar wal azgar. From cleanse your heart from jealousy and, and, and like, you know, somebody, like if your brother, Allah, uh, make it easy for all of us, right? If your brother, Allah honors them and, and they, they reach some goal, mashallah, instead of being like, why him? Why not me? You know, I know this, he doesn't know this. I'm this, he's not that. She's not this. Why her? What? Instead, be like, alhamdulillah. Again, all of our mission is to accomplish the goal, establish the sharia. And you spread the hidayah and you bring people to tawheed. If Allah does it upon the lisan of my brother, alhamdulillah. May Allah bless it for him, right? But no, today, why do we have, you know, every time you see somebody wants to attack somebody and then attack somebody, why? Because we haven't cleansed ourselves. Tarbiyah. You know, when we say tarbiyah, it's, it's a hard thing to translate because we say upbringing, right? But it's not only, that's tarbiyah of any awlad. Yes, the, the, chir, the parent does tarbiyah of the awlad. But, yani, here, who did tarbiyah of the Sahaba? Not their parents. Allah and His Rasul. Allah subhanahu wa made tarbiyah of them. Allah subhanahu wa revealed ayat on how they should interact, how should they should pray, how they should do things. And the Rasul, he taught them 
how to deal with each other, how to deal with kuffar, how to deal with ahkam. And at this time, the Sahaba are few. And these three years of secret da'wah, there's not a lot of hardship. I mean, it's still hard. Many of them, they have to keep everything secret because they know. But it's not a lot of hardship. But today we'll get into the da'wah jahriya. Yani when the da'wah becomes, not sirriya, jahriya, when it comes out and becomes open. And you'll see the, the forces of uh, yani, uh, evil and shaitan and all of that, how they step up to it. At this time, the Sahaba, they were learning the good akhlaq from Rasulullah sallallahu the good mannerisms. And as we mentioned in the last, as Hassan al-Basri said, yani, this is, when you talk about being Salafi, then you need to know who the Salaf are. Yani, Salafi is not just, I have a shimaq, so I'm Salafi. Yani, my thobe is white, so I'm Salafi. That. Yani, this means you want to follow the Salaf of Salihin, then who were the Salaf? They were the best. No doubt every Muslim should be Salafi in the sense, to follow the Salaf of Salihin, not to be part of any cult or any group or have to follow a particular 10 scholars, no, but to follow the Sahaba and the Tabi'un and the Salihin from the earlier generations like Abu Hanifa and Malik and Shafi and Ahmad, no doubt, who can be better than those that Allah chose for those best generations, those blessed earlier generations? So how were they? Hassan al-Basri said that a man would travel two years to go sit with the Shaykh and learn one thing, or to cleanse from one thing. Ibn al-Qayyim al-Jawziya, he talks about, he goes to Sahaba, the Salaf, this Ummah, they would travel to learn Hadith, but they would also travel to take out diseases from themselves. Like maybe somebody has Bukhul, like they're stingy. So they would travel to a Shaykh, an Alim, and they would sit there, not just to memorize Hadith and things, but they would tell the Shaykh, I have this disease, how do I cure myself? Imagine, they, t- they leave their work, they leave their families just to, like today, we, we don't have this. Today, who's going to say, uh, I have, يعني, maybe I'm cowardly, like I'm not, I'm afraid to fight or whatever, stand up for the haq. I'm going to leave my work, everything, go visit a sheikh and sit with him just to fix this quality. Maybe I have hasad. Allah protect us all. Maybe I have hasad. I'm going to go, leave my job, leave my family, travel. Go and sit with an alim, a person who has the khashiyah of Allah, just to say, Shaykh, I have this disease, how can I fix it? Right? So, so this is something we see from the salaf that we've lost today. At that time, as we mentioned, there were two salawat. There was fajr and asr, or meaning the first in the early morning and the asr time. But there were nawafir. Even at that time, like we see a hadith where Abu Bakr used to pray the whole night. He used to be up praying at night. Later on when Umar became Muslim, you will see he also would stand and he would pray. And Rasulullah would go to the haram and he would pray in the night. It's not fard. But they loved it. And today it's so difficult for us. Today it's so difficult for us. When we do it, we're like, wow, I prayed half an hour last night. Woo! We, we today are just like, okay, how, what's the minimum? And myself first, what's the minimum I can do and still feel good about myself? You know, this is something amazing. I know you think I'm uh, going off track, but this is the track. Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali, one of the underrated ulama, he said about riya or showing off. And he said there is a showing off from others, like meaning you want to show off, you want to be like, look, I got this, I did this, I'm this. You know, sometimes you say, Mashallah, what's your name, brother? My name is Sheikh Hafiz Maulana Hazrat. 
If you, if, you, if you accidentally call him brother, oh, uh, oh. <laughs> but then there is a showing off to yourself. When I read that, I was like, what does that mean? Like, I don't get it. What do you mean showing off to yourself? He said, sometimes people do things to show off to them. They don't tell anybody else. And they think they protected their amal, but really, they're like, I'm a good person. And I give so much salah, but nobody even knows. Look what a great guy I am. Like, instead of really doing it for Allah, you, you, you're, you're trying to appease yourself, your own nafs. Then you start justifying sins. May Allah protect us, I've been down this path, I know. May Allah protect us all, right? Then you're like, yeah, I do this wrong, but hey, I did this and this and this, and nobody even knows about it. See, I'm a good guy. So this is, these are all very dangerous things. The salah for this ummah, they loved the salah, not just as, as to step on their nafs, but they loved it. That was their enjoyment. That was qurratul ayn. I mean, that was the coolness of their eyes. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to taste that. But it takes effort. And that's these three years of that training. This early da'wah, these three years and the ten years after that, one of the subhanAllah beautiful things that as I read the books of uh, Sirah, I mean like, I try to think of these points. There is no wealth. And that's why the quality of the Sahaba here is so high. Like, I mean, it's such high quality, high caliber. Why? Because there's no, it's not like they're, they're, they're getting uh, places of power or there's leadership or there's, I mean, this is all sacrifice. Meaning when they became Muslim, they didn't get wealth, they didn't get power, they didn't get uh, any, any kind of uh, a support. At this early time, it's all sacrifice. So those that sacrificed for that Iman, they loved it. Because they understood the value of what they were doing. There is da'wah, which is secret, individual. Right? Rasulullah here, he's speaking to like Abu Lahab and Abu Talib and those people, he's speaking to them. It's not like they don't know, but he's speaking to them individually, he's speaking to them in, in confidence. So at this time, they're not too worried about him. Right? There is ibadah. Right? Here we have the hadith where Jibreel السلام, came and ayat from Surah Al-Ma'adah were revealed about wudu. He taught Rasulullah about al-istinjab, about al-wudu, about the ahkam, right? about salah. Even if we don't have the five-time regular salawat, the ahkam are now being revealed. And Jibreel السلام, is teaching them. Allah SWT is revealing those ayat. right? And here there is a beautiful hadith where Jibreel السلام, he talks about the stinja and he shows the Prophet السلام, he says, and after you're done, sprinkle water on, the, يعني, on your clothes. When you're done with istinja before wudu and things. And this is something proven for many of the Sahaba as well. And this is something beautiful, which is why it takes away doubt. Like sometimes you go to the bathroom, you make istinja, you make istijmar, you, you, you cleanse yourself after the bathroom. But then later shaitan gives you some doubt. So here when you sprinkle the water, it takes away doubt. Like look at the detail that's being taught. Okay? With this, you have the leadership of the Prophet these are aspects to make the da'wah successful. Why? Because the leadership is mukhlis, yani has sincerity and knowledgeable. Right? Uh, who's more knowledgeable than the one that Allah revealed the Quran to? Ayat are revealed to him, hikmah is taught to him, 
he alayhi salatu salam leads them with ikhlas and knowledge and those are qualities we should look for in our leaders may allah grant all of us we look at those who are mukhlis and knowledgeable right sometimes and, and i'm telling like I, I i read a lot of different books and then i go over and, and i kind of summarize these things for you right why because i see these problems in our ummah sometimes we have mukhlis but jahil and some people very like they have great ikhlas but they break the rules of sharia they they violate sometimes the blood of the muslim sometimes the honor of the muslim sometimes they sell out and things and, and but they are sincere they just don't know the knowledge of where the sharia draws the bounds and then some people they may be very knowledgeable like allah has blessed them that they have memorized books and they have degrees and things like this but because the ikhlas is not there then yale doesn't do anything for you right so here you need these two things may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us all with yani, sincerity and, and knowledge and, and and at least have leaders with such who were the first to accept islam mostly the poor and if you look at ishaq or the earlier books al maghazi when they list i mean we have some exceptions like uthman ibn affan he was wealthy he was respected he was loved you have abu bakr radiyallahu you have abdurrahman bin auf you have some exceptions but the majority they are women they are slaves yani this this is pre-islam right they were enslaved in the pre-islam era and they are poor many of them like yasir and sumayya and their son yani uh, ammar radiyallahu anhum they are from the weakest of the arabian society and that's something interesting right some people nowadays they tell us don't worry about giving dawah on the street what's the point go go get rock stars and go get professors and go get these big guys and when they come then you will see like people will see oh this basketball star became muslim so khalas we're all going to become muslim but you never know you never know who allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put that uh, yani blessing in that they're coming to islam will be yani, uh, such a, a blessing for the ummah that we don't realize it. Who would have thought Julaibib would turn out to be a, a shining star of Islam? I mean, imagine if they saw Julaibib radiyallahu anhu. You guys know who Julaibib radiyallahu anhu is. I'm not going to go over his life here. We've gone over, right? But nobody would have paid attention to him. No Nasab, don't know his father, don't know his lineage, no Arab tribe connections, no power broke, doesn't have enough clothes, physically deformed, uh yani from the worldly perspective physically very ugly uh people were just i mean even his name what's his name Zulaibib is actually not his real name <laughs> we don't know his name Zulaibib was a name given to him and Zulaibib what does it mean Zulaibib a small jilbab cuz he didn't have enough clothing so they named him like the guy who doesn't have enough clothing orphan dani but then he became such a yani a, a, a star for islam that at his death rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam saying jalabib minni wa min allah akbar malaika coming yani glad tidings of jannah jihad fi sabilillah yani qital people took he couldn't lift a sword right ibn mas'ud skinny but heavy in front of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at this time after third three years of secret da'wah the da'wah opens now you have the open da'wah allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered it and he, and 
The Amr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has its own wisdom. Right? Sometimes we don't understand the wisdom. We think, okay, why? The da'wah is going okay, people are becoming Muslim, you don't have hardship. Why come out in the open and, and really take it on? Right? But this is the hikmah of Allah, and I have noticed this in my own life. And I will prove it from the Qur'an and Ahadith and the way of Sahaba and the earlier Anbiya that when the da'wah is slow, the opposition is slow. When the da'wah ramps up, the opposition ramps up. But it has to ramp up for the haq to become wahir on the bottom. And the more ghira, I mean the more don't know a word for here. Um, the more, hmm? it's not jealousy. Shiverly? Were you opening doors for people or something? <laughs> the what? Greedy? Definitely not. Going further away from. Ghira. There is no ghira in English, so there is no word for ghira in English. Right? The more you are going to stand fully dedicated, willing to sacrifice, the more the haq will become apparent. And it will come from both sides. Right? We used to go out to the park, and we used to give da'wah, and many of the brothers that were there in the early days, sometimes we'd go and hardly talk to anybody. I remember standing there half an hour, nobody even walked up to us. Right? Sometimes we'd go and two, three people would just come and you know, kind of look at you and walk away, and that would be our whole day of doubt. Right? But nobody attacked us either. <laughs> nobody put up tents trying to argue with us. Nobody, right? So when the da'wah picked up, the opposition picked up. Right? And, but as the da'wah picks up, and the opposition picks up, the, the haq starts to become more and more bahil on the bottom. We need the opposition to pick up for the haq to then be made apparent. Otherwise, the haq kind of sits in this corner and the other guys just kind of sit in their corner and nothing really happens. Everybody just, yeah, nice day, go home. No. So here, when the da'wah becomes open, the opposition becomes harsh. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi sallam, he came forward with the da'wah openly. And how? By the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he had an Amr from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yani, to go and warn who from your aqarib, those that are closest to you. So this da'wah is not Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa yet just standing in the haram and, and calling out, right? But now he is going to call those that are the closest to him, yani from his family, from his tribe. So here he goes and he invites them. And this is, I'm going to combine from many different ahadith that are sahih sanadan. Some of the details are in Qutb of Tariq or Qutb of Tafsir, يعني, but no doubt the, the essence of this story is authentic. Right? Here Ali bin Abi Talib radiyanu, who is Muslim in secret in a way right now. He's still, يعني, he's young, he's there, but he's not out there. Many of the Sahaba, they're still, even after the order for the da'wah jahriya, their Islam is secret. Many of them, like Abbas radiyanhu, and he wallahu alam exactly when he accepted Islam, but no doubt he was helping the Muslims even after the hijrah, hijrah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, keeping his Islam secret. 
And that's why Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in Badr, he told the Sahaba, if you see Abbas, don't attack him. Because his Islam was secret, people didn't realize it. So, here, many of the Sahaba, their Islam is secret, but the Prophet Muhammad he puts himself on the line. Another characteristics of a, of a good يعني, uh, leader, he himself puts himself in more risk than others. It's not just they're like, okay, you guys go out, and I'm just going to do the da'wah training at home. You guys go out. To, no, if you're going to do it, you got to step up. you got to put yourself in danger. You can't put others. In the West, is nifaq and it's hypocrisy. The leaders sit around in some White House or building or tower, and they are sit there, drink their alcohol, and throw their parties, and the poor and the, and the, and the, the regular awam, they're sent out to die in wars. Right? But... Rasulullah he himself goes out to the forefront. He gets Ali Radiyanu and he tells them, okay, get some food, get some things together and gather my relatives in the Quraysh, I mean, those leaders in the Quraysh, Abu Talib and Abu Lahab and others like this, right? Now, others like Abu Jahl and them are going to be involved as well, but mostly we're concentrating on Banu Hashim. Right? This is the order of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is the Aqarib, this is the one closest to the Prophet here, when he brings them together, they don't listen to him. And imagine this is the best of mankind. This is the last of the prophets, the, the final brick in that completed household of prophet and all of that. But they don't listen to him. And this is a lesson for us. Sometimes when we speak and somebody doesn't, you're like, ah, try to talk to him. He, how dare he not listen to me? You know who I am? You're nobody. Don't worry about it. Right? Compared to Rasulullah, who are you? So he goes out and he invites them and he spends his own money. Now look at this. Khadija radiallahu is spending her money for Islam. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa is spending his money for Islam. He's not saying if some, if some organization doesn't fund me, then I'm not going to do it. Who's going to sponsor this? You know? Hey guys, come on, we need sponsorship. No, his own money he's spending. And that's how we should be with da'wah. So he's spending his money. They come, they don't listen. They're talking to each other, and Abu Lahab, is, uh, he, in one of the narrations, he, he even tells the Prophet ﷺ, what are you doing? He goes, I know what you brought me here. He didn't even let him speak. He goes, I know what you brought him, because he had spoken to them individually. He said, what, I know what you brought up. Do you think we're going to stand up against all the Arab? Like, today, tomorrow you're going to say these idols don't do anything, and the Arab are going to attack us, and they'll kill you, and they'll kill us, and you, we can't do it. Just let it go. And you want to go worship whatever, do your own thing. Right? People tell us today, tell somebody, it's haram to drink alcohol. Brother, you, you go. Don't tell me. You go make your own salah. Don't tell me. No, 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 brother. I have to tell you. That's a part of Islam. Right? What does it have to do with you? No, you have to do with me. Because your sinning will bring the punishment on all of us. <laughs> so, here, when Rasulullah invites them, they don't listen to the Prophet. The whole gathering, they don't listen. What did he do? Was he like, Allah, I tried. What do you want me to do? Allah, I'm done. No. He invited them again. He invited them again and made food for them again, spent his own money again. And he told them, after the hamd of Allah, he praised Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nahmaduhu. With, with mentioning, praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, saying that there is la sharika Allah, and he's saying those statements clearly. And he told them, look, when a, a caravan 
sends a scout forward. The beautiful statement. You know when you have a caravan, they send a scout. In the Arab, they would send the scout for two, three reasons. One of them, to see if there's any bandits, any enemies, anybody. It's very important. Secondly, to find water. Now, if the scout comes back and doesn't warn them, he sees bandits and doesn't warn them, what will happen? The caravan will get attacked and they'll all get killed. Or if he finds water and doesn't tell them, and they don't go in the direction of the water, they'll die. Or if he doesn't find water and tells them there is water, then when they get there and there's no water, they all die. It's not like, you know, okay, we'll just go to the next gas station. <laughs> At that time in the, in the desert, that was life and death. So one of the things they did is whoever is the scout never lied. He always told them what is correct because that's the only way they would survive. So he said, look, when somebody is sent like that, they don't lie. And Allah has sent me like that to you. Meaning Allah has revealed, you know, the scout, what happens? When he goes out, he knows something they don't know. Either he knows there's water, they don't know. So he comes back and tells them, hey, I know there's water, follow me, I'll take you to it. Or he knows there are enemies, he tells them, hey, I know there are enemies, you haven't seen them, but I know I've seen them, so let's change direction. And they follow the scout. They don't say, hmm, well, I didn't see the water. Like imagine, you know, the atheists tell us today, right? I want to see Jannah. I want to see Jahannam, right? Uh, I want to see Allah, right? Like this is the kind of statements we get. But imagine in, in, in this beautiful example of the Prophet ﷺ, imagine the caravan's like, well, I don't know. Are there bandits? I didn't see them. Well, when you do see them, then you're all dead. <laughs> well, you say there's no water, but how do we know? Let's go check it. And then you get there and you all die of thirst. So here... When that person is trusted with that responsibility, then you have to just follow. Right? So here Rasulullah is telling them, look, Allah revealed to me about this, and I have been sent to you as that scout goes out in front of the caravan. And as that scout would never lie to the caravan, I will bring the truth to you. Right? Here now, a beautiful example, he tells them about, look, there is Jannah, there is Jahannam, there is, there is the idols cannot stray. Now, what did he not do? He didn't tell them, you're good and I'm good. Yeah, that's okay. You know, you're going to Jannah from a different direction and I'm going from a different direction. All paths going together. Let's do this. In front of Quraysh, we're going to have a big conference and we're going to call it the Mecca Interfaith Conference. And then you can talk about Lot and Uzzah and I'll talk about Allah. And then we'll, I don't know, what do they do? Sing and dance? Eat something, right? We'll do the Dabka. That's it. We'll do the dabka. There's a great idea. Right? No! The da'wah was straight. Look what you're upon is wrong. These idols worshipping other than Allah is wrong. There is no sharik of Allah. La sharika. There is only one Allah. Everything else is false. You have to recognize the truth. He did it with hikmah. He did it with, with wanting good for them. Yes. But he was straight with them. Right? Now here, Abu Talib, he tells the Prophet ﷺ that, look, what you're saying, and I'm, I'm going to summarize, I'm, I have all my notes, but I'm just going to summarize it. Look, my, my nephew, what you are saying is good. Like what I hear from you is good. And I will support you. I will back you. Whatever 
comes, I will back you. I got your back. Translate. Eh? But I cannot leave the deen of Abdul Muttalib. Who's Abdul Muttalib? He is the father of Abu Talib. And he is the father of Abdullah, who is the father of Muhammad So he is the grandfather of Rasulullah and he is the father of Abu Talib. Many people, including ulama, and many people today, they tried to make, oh, Abu Talib was Muslim. He was from Fitra. He was in Tawheed. Well, if he was in Tawheed, then this wouldn't make sense. Then why would Abu Talib say, I can't leave the deen of Abdul Muttalib? Because that was the deen of worshipping idols. I mean, look, we have to be honest. None of us want that somebody say, oh, the father of Rasulullah is in the north, or the mother of Rasulullah died in Kufr. But if that is, then we cannot change it because of our guru. That's not Islam. Islam, Aslama. When Rasulullah told the man that your father and my father, khalas. When Rasulullah said that Allah didn't allow me to make dua for my mother, khalas. It's clear. So here Abdul Muttalib, his deen was the deen of the idols. And, and Abu Talib, as good as he was, he couldn't give up that false sense of loyalty. Today we have this too. Many brothers, good brothers, mashallah, and maybe brothers who've done a lot of khair, but they can't give up their loyalty to a certain community or a certain madhab or a certain firqa or a certain group. So now, when they see the haq, Instead of accepting it, they will make loops around it. They'll be like, yeah, that brother is good, but he's Wahhabi. What, what does that mean? What's Wahhabi? What, what's that? Well, you know, he thinks he knows better than Imam Hanifa. Look, who said that? Nobody said that. But you know who does know better than Abu Hanifa and Shafi and Malik and Ahmad? May Allah be pleased with all of them. You know who knows better than them? Rasulullah sallallahu so when you have a hadith sahih, muhkam, proven, mutawatir, la khalas, we will not leave that qala Allah wa qala Rasul for anybody. Somebody told Ibn al-Qayyim that one of your shiukh said this. He said, I love my shaykh, but I love the haq more. So this is, I love my community here. And my community is this. I don't care what race you're from, I don't care what language you speak, you're Muslim, you're here, this is my community. But even here, if somebody brings me an ayah or hadith sahih, sorry guys, that has to take precedence. Okay? So here, Abu Talib couldn't. His false or incorrect sense of loyalty to his tribe, to his people, to his history, couldn't allow him to break away. But he spoke those good words. Abu Lahab, on the other hand, as some of the narrations mentions, he told the Prophet And this is going to happen again. This is not the first time. Uh, this is the first time it will happen again. But either which way, what we find from Sahih Hadith is he interrupted the da'wah. The Quraysh, when they heard these words and they heard Abu Talib, they, they were started, like their heart started to come towards Islam. But Abu Lahab, even though he's the uncle of the Prophet. He ruined the da'wah like he did the first time. And when he told the Arab, the, the Banu Hashim from Quraysh, he told them, what are, you, what are you guys doing? You guys are going to listen to this? 
that tomorrow the Arab tribe will, will, will stand up against us, we won't be able to fight all of the Arab. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam look, with the help of Allah, you can do anything. <laughs> look at this guy, you know. Like today, sometimes we say we tawakkal on Allah. <laughs> Whatever. But then you tell me what happened in history. When all the Arab tribes came against Rasulullah sallallahu what happened? Who won? Allah gave Nusra and Fath and victory to Rasulullah sallallahu But because the kuffar, they cannot think of the unseen, Abu Lahab couldn't imagine it. So again, he deterred them. So what did the Prophet sallallahu do? And this is yani, well-known hadith, people mention it all the time. Um, he realized that there is a protocol the Quraysh use. Like today, how do you communicate a message? Right, let's say you want to communicate that somebody just won something. You maybe send a tweet out, Twitter, right? Or you Snapchat, or you Facebook, or you YouTube, or you make a video and post it on whatever social media. This is the, this is the use today. But in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, they didn't have social media, but they had protocols, right? So if there was going to be an attack from outside of Mecca, what was the protocol? That in a particular mountain or you know, hillish high area, a man would go up and he would take off all his clothes. He would get in his birthday suit, he'd get naked. And he would say, Ya Sabah, يعني, oh, يعني, the morning or, or the meaning to warn them that an army or a, or a group is about to attack. Now there is a depth here, and I thought about this this time, even though my last seerah dars, I didn't even, like, you didn't get to this, right? Which is, the example is so beautiful, because when that person sends out that warning, some people will heed the warning. Some people will be like, oh, there's a naked guy yelling, and that means that's our protocol, there's an army coming, we gotta be out. They prepare themselves, they either get out of town, or they arm themselves, they prepare themselves. They heed the warning. What happens to them? They're saved. Either they get out of town, or they're able to fight and be ready, they're saved. Some people are like, whatever, I'm some naked dude on the mountain, right? I'm busy, I got things to do. What do you mean? I gotta go drink. There's a beautiful woman I just saw. This dude just, I'm supposed to drop everything, you know, right? They don't heed it. Somebody's telling them the warning is there. They don't heed it. What happens to them? They get destroyed. Either the enemy will attack them and they're not ready. Or by the time they see the enemy, they won't be able to prepare. And they'll get taken. Prison, killed, whatever, right? And that is a beautiful example. The message of Rasulullah is like, it's a message. Who heeds it is saved. And who ignored it gets destroyed. Right? So here Rasulullah used the social media of the time. Right? But what was their way that they would get naked? Rasulullah didn't do that. Instead he kept his clothes on. What does that tell you? Yes, you can use social media but within the boundaries of the Sharia. Right? It doesn't mean now you're like forgiving da'wah, I'm going to make a music video on TikTok. I'm going to be doing the, I don't know, what's the new dances nowadays, right? Flossing or something, right? Flossing, right? And why? Because I'm giving da'wah. So I'm going to have music and I'm going to have, like now, subhanAllah, 
if there is a woman with no hijab, everybody wants to promote this as, look, she's Muslim. Not with a hijab, but look, she's Muslim, right? But no, we don't use that to attract people to Islam, that which is haram. We don't use music and uh, يعني, women without hijab or guys dressed in a way they shouldn't be or me and my wife are going to do makeup tutorials for da'wah. No, no, no. Leave all that stuff alone. The sharia has boundaries. Right? Stay within the boundaries. Within that, use the social media. You use all the technology you can, but within those boundaries. Right? So here, now Rasulullah he keeps his clothes on. He doesn't violate the Sharia, right? But he goes out and he uses this call. And when he calls them, the people, they pay attention. They know him to be honest. They know him to be truthful. They they go to him. And he tells them, look, if I was to tell you that there is an army of soldiers, horses, knights, about to attack Mecca, about to attack you, would you believe me? I said, of course we believe you. See, Allah chose such a person that he was the most honest, the most trustworthy, the one who was Amin, the one who was Sadiq, the one who was the, the Quraysh knew. Imagine somebody like myself, uh, who, who, who had a, a bad past. People could be like, yeah, I don't remember that dude when he used to roll up on people with guns and stuff, right? So, so, so they could make an excuse. But Allah chose such a beautiful person, Rasulullah sallallahu that, that the Quraysh were like, no way could he lie. We know him. He's raised amongst us. Right? When we had the problem, who was the one that solved it? And, and, and who, who was made in charge of putting the black stone where it should be? Who made sulh between the tribes? Who do we go and leave our money to, to entrust? Who do we know that always tells the truth? Who do we go to judge? Because we know. Why? That is the man Muhammad alayhi Beautiful character. So they said, if you told us, no doubt that there is an army. Right? He said, then know that there is something more dangerous. There is, there is an akhirah coming. You're going to die. In one of the narrations, he gave a beautiful example. He said, it is like a sleep that is coming that you will be woken from. Death is called the sister. I mean, sleep is called the de- sister of death. And think about this, right? Some people are like, what do you mean I'm going to die? And then Allah will raise us again. Like, how, how can you mean? I see dead people. Oh, they're sitting there like that. How's he going to get up again? Right? But Allah gave us such a beautiful example right in front of us. You ever see somebody really sleep like deep? Like they're out? Like some people, they sleep and their eyes are even a little bit open. It's kind of freaky. Right? The eyes will be kind of like this, open. Like you can see the eyeball and their mouth will be open and they'll be out silence and they're not even snoring some people snore at least you know they're alive some people they're just there and you're not sure if they're alive or not right and they'll be like that for hours some of them will be still and then they'll wake up whatever dream or nightmare they were going through whatever punishment they may be going through whatever enjoyment you don't see it you just see them and they might be seeing a dream they're in Jannah and eating the fruits of Jannah and meeting Anbiya, having some beautiful time. You just see this. Or they may be getting punished in their, in their dream. They may be getting crushed and horror and they're, they're feeling the stress. And you just see this. Right? But what a beautiful example. Death is like that. You see the dead body, but you don't see their ruh. You don't know what 
yani bounties Allah may have given them or what adab they're going through, you don't see it, but it's there. And just like a, a sleeping person wakes up in a longer way, when that dead person wakes up again, right? so he told them, he gave them this warning. Now at this time, once again, the Quraysh, their heart starts to come towards the truth. This is the best da'wah. This is the da'wah of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi But here again, who steps up to this? The work of shaitan, Abu Lahab. He tells him, Tabba lak ya Muhammad. Tell you, what does tabba mean? Destroy, what does tabba mean? Whatever your Arabic does. <laughs> you destroy it in destruction. Taba and tabba. What are my Arabs at? Like? Come on, man. You were in my dust. You can't answer. Nobody was in my group. Taba and tabba. Taba, tabba. Both have the same meaning. But when you have the shadda al alba, it means a slow, painful destruction. Taba means destructions. You know, like in Urdu, Taba'i. Right? But Tabba, Tabba, Bishadda, means that the destruction is slow and painful. So here, when he told the Prophet, and including many of the ulema of Tafsir, said this was the second time, as we mentioned, Rasulullah didn't answer him. Out of the good character, he didn't want to respond for his own sake. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had ghira. Not that Allah was jealous. Uh, what was the other translations people gave? Hmm? No. But Allah had ghira upon his Nabi. Know this, that Allah is ghayur. He has ghira. When we get attacked, don't think that Allah doesn't see it. But Allah is halim. Halim. Slow. But punishment comes. Shadeed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here revealed ayat. What ayat? Tabbat yada abi lahabiyun wa tabbat. I have one little Arabic thing just for fun. Tabbat. Why is it a ta? Because of yadain. Right? Which anything yad would be mudakkar. Why is it mu'annath? The law al Arabiya, anything in your jasad, in your body that's two is mu'annath. Yadain. Two hands, yeah? because he pointed at the Prophet. So two hands is feminine. No problem. What is after it? What's the point of that? What do you do? If said, uh, only his hands will be punished? Nah. No. Who knows Maf'ul Mutlaq? What is your Nahu man? Where is Haruf Jazz? Where are you at, man? Come on. That's Maf'ul Mutlaq. What does it mean? Hmm? This is Maf'ul Litawkeed. Right? For emphasis. But the Ulema of Tasir, the Tafsir, they also mentioned something very beautiful. They said that because he said it twice to the Prophet, Allah responded twice with it. Beautiful how. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responded. Now, there is a miracle of the Prophet here. There's a miracle of the Quran here. And a challenge that I'm going to put out. Right? Think about this. 
Umar ibn Khattab is not Muslim at the time. Abu Sufyan is not Muslim at the time. Abu Sufyan will not become Muslim for a long time after this. Hinda is not Muslim at the time, right? So many Khalid ibn Walid, uh, I mean Hamza radiyallahu is not Muslim at the time, right? Radiyallahu anhum, right? Any one of them could have had this. If Rasulullah made up the Quran, as somebody may say, right? He could have said it about any of them. But they all ended up becoming Muslim. So then people are like, the Quran says that he will be in the Nar and he's Muslim. Right? Or Abu Lahab could have become Muslim. The Quran would have been proven wrong. Now, this is the early time of Makkah. I mean, we have Hijrah and we have, after Hijrah, Abu Lahab is alive, right? All this time till Badr. I mean, this, this whole stretch, Abu Lahab could have even faked Islam. He could have just been like, I'm Muslim, haha, your Quran's wrong. But no, Allah brought such a miraculous Qur'an that when it said it about him, khalas, he could not become Muslim. Because of what he did, Allah subhanahu revealed these ayat against him. And we will end here inshallah today, continue with the jahri dawah and the hardship that the Sahaba faced at the next class inshallah.